going to start off like we did last night, right with the choir. And so let's just get our hearts ready to worship and enjoy some choir music this morning. Who's love? 
story of a runaway with no way home and no way out. I threw the best of me away. I had my chance. It's too late now. I'm too far gone, too ashamed to think that you'd still know my name. But love refused to let my story end that way. It's good to be here again, and we're going to open up in a word of prayer. I'm going to ask my brother-in-law, Steve Dixon, if he'd come around. He's a pastor at uh, Porter's Grove Missionary Baptist Church, and the Lord's just been blessing them. And Come and pray for us, brother. Amen. I'm ashamed and embarrassed to say uh, how many years and how long it took me uh, to realize that I wasn't finding things in the Word of God. I, uh, uh, I would say things like, look, look what I found today. Or look what I saw today. And as they were singing, love made the first move. 
The only things I find in the Bible are the things he wants me to see, are the things that he wants me to know. And uh, I'm glad the older I get, uh, the deeper our relationship grows. And, uh, boy, when I realize my study and my depth in the scripture uh, is for nothing more than to have a sweeter relationship with him. Boy, it was in those times that my life changed. I'm thankful for a meeting like this where we can learn how to dig deep and build that relationship with him that we need. Lord, we ask for your blessings tonight. We don't deserve it, Lord, but we humbly come before your presence today. God, we ask you to move in our midst. Lord, we're thankful for the men of God and the women of God that are here, those that are faithful to serve you, to pray, to lift up holy hands, and Lord, to proclaim your name. Lord, we're thankful, Lord, that you made the first move. I'm glad. Uh, I don't think the son saw his father first. But, Lord, I think the father was looking for him to come home. And, Lord, I'm glad, Lord, that I didn't find you. Lord, but you found me. Lord, I pray that you'd move among us tonight. Search deep within our hearts. Lord, show us where we need to draw near to the master this evening. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Appreciate Brother Steve Dixon, the pastor, and you brought some of your students from your Thursday night classes, and they didn't want to come. All right, never mind. That made me look bad. Appreciate you bringing them tonight. But anyhow, I want to say this about uh, what happened this morning and uh, the sessions that came. Um, God bless the sessions this morning. How many was in the sessions this morning? We had a great crowd. Thank you for coming tomorrow. Be there. And uh, we learned about how to use illustrations correctly because sometimes the illustrations become the message. And uh, that's not the correct use of illustrations. And uh, we learn about how, not, not the style of preaching, but the content of preaching and teaching the Word. And we had a wonderful time this morning. And the breakfast, the fellowship, all those things was wonderful. So I'm excited about tonight. We have some wonderful things prepared for tonight. And uh, you're here, I believe, because you love the Bible. You love the Word of God. And uh, I want to read a verse that you can quote. But many times we forget about some of the words that's in this particular verse. Paul's writing to Timothy and uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 2. And Paul makes this statement, preach the word. You know what that means? There's no one in this building that is called to preach. We're called to preach the word. I think sometimes we mess up this thing. Well, I, I'm called to preach. No, no, nobody's called to preach. But we are called to preach the word, the Bible. What's in the Word of God. So that simply means this. As Paul's writing to Timothy, he's reminding us, if I preach anything but the Word of God, I'm stepping out of the bounds of what I'm called. Struck through the Word of God. But you know what the Bible says in this verse. Simply, instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all long suffering. And I love this word, and doctrine. That simply tells us, it shows us as a Bible student, we should, it gives the connotation, it gives the meaning. We should always be prepared with the Word of God. That's why constantly we must be studying, we must be battling, we must be digging in the Word of God. I thought about my father, Brother Stephen, today. He's going to be 82 in about a month or so, and he retired from pastoring when he was 80. He had good health up until then. And uh, he called me the other day, he told me about a book he's reading and just learning from that book. And every day he's reading, he's studying, and God allows him many Sundays to go out and preach. And I'm thinking to myself, a man that's been preaching for over 40 years, 
a man that pastored in the same church for over 33 years, still learning, still studying, still desiring the Word of God. So let's be reminded in a place like this, we're not called to preach. I think some men, they, they'll preach about milk, milk tops and colors and they'll preach about different shirts and they'll preach about just everything that's not in the Bible. We're called to preach the Word. So if it's not in the Word of God, I don't have any authority because any authority, it's not in me. It comes from the Word of God. That's why we have meetings like this. That's why we're excited about meetings like this. That's why we're thrilled that there are others that want to just dig deeper. I've heard this statement that, well, we don't have to dig deep in the Word of God. We got salvation. That's not true. That's not true. There are so many treasures in the Word of God. But the Bible teaches us, the Bible plainly speaks to us that we must interpret correctly. We must get the context of Scripture. We must find out what thus saith the Lord. And uh, Paul said, Timothy, don't, don't, don't preach. Preach the Word. Be ready anytime, place. Be ready to preach the Word of God. And uh, we're going to have our first message in just a moment. But I want the singers to come on up, get ready. And uh, they're going to sing us into preaching. And then I'll talk a little bit about the first preacher and uh, how God is using him in such a great way. I thought about this today. My family and, uh, in Raleigh County, where I live, my mom's family, I just preached my uncle's funeral. But they love cars. I love cars. I love motor. If it's got an engine, I like it. I mean, if it's got wheels, I like it, unless it's got batteries and it's electric. But if it's got a gas-powered engine, that's my first message, by the way. If it's got, that's not in the Bible. If it's got a gas, I love all that kind of thing. But how often do we have a wonderful machine? We have a wonderful car. We have a wonderful engine. But we have no idea what's in that engine. We really, we have no idea truly what that engine can do. You know what's sad? We got a Bible. We have so many things in the Word of God. And I, I firmly believe that even some 2,000 years later after Christ has already sent up to God, we've just scratched the surface. Don't you want to truly know what thus saith the Lord? Don't you want to find out? It's so amazing. It's so good what God has given us. Let's be students of the Bible. Let's be students of the Word of God. I want, to, I want to be like my father, if God lets me live that long. I want to be like my father. May not be pastor, may not be an evangelist, may not be preaching every week of my life, but I still want to desire to learn the word of God. Timothy, don't preach. Preach the word, the Bible, the things of God. Y'all sing for us and then we'll talk about it.
What patience would wait as we constantly roll? What Father so tender is calling us home? He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. of kindness he lavished on us his blood was a payment his life was a cost we stood neath the debt we could never afford our sins they are many his mercy is more praise the Lord his mercy more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. sins they are many his mercy is more doctrine of that song well it's so good to have brother Kogan East and uh, he's been helping us with these meetings in different places and we were just in Manassas and uh, had a good meeting there for a couple days and uh, just trying to encourage the child of God to love the Word of God, to be deep students of the Word of God because that's our foundation, that's our doctrine. He is pastoring in Blacksburg, South Carolina. God is blessing his church. God is moving in his church in a special way just because there's a young man of God that's willing to study, that's willing to dig. That's willing. He'll call me all the time tell me what he's reading, what he's studying, what he's digging, what he's trying to glean. And uh, because of all of that, God is blessing his church. So we're excited about Brother Kogan. Glad he's here. I'm excited. He told us a little bit, maybe, unless God changed his mind, that's wonderful too. But he told us a little bit about what God may speak to him about tonight. So open your Bibles, get ready. Let's hear from the man of God tonight. Praise the Lord. If you got your Bible tonight, let's go to Nehemiah chapter number 8. Nehemiah chapter number 8. We'll get right into the Word of God tonight. What a sweet time it's been, and what a blessing it's been all week, last night, this morning. It's just been awesome, and the Lord's truly been helping us, and I'm thankful for that, thankful for the church, and I sure do love Brother Gary and Brother Mike and the families, and I love each of you, and grateful to be here. I'm grateful to be in, have the opportunity to be a part of a meeting like this, and grateful to be a part uh, and have a friendship 
Brother Steve, Brother Jake, Brother Dale, and Brother Mike, Brother Gary, all these different guys, Brother Polk and Brother Zach, all these different preachers. I can't name everybody, but just grateful for the relationships that the Lord gives us with true Bible believers and people that love the Word of God, and I'm grateful for that. We ain't all the same. We're pretty different, but we all love the Word, and that's really all that matters. And so I'm grateful for that and all that God is doing. God's doing something in these days. And if he's going to do anything, it's going to happen through his word. And so I'm thankful for that. Nehemiah chapter number 8 tonight. If you'll stand with me in honor of the word of God. Nehemiah chapter number 8. We're going to read a few verses here. Starting in verse number 1. And So Nehemiah chapter 8 and getting into verse number 1. says, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday before the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah and Shema and Aniah and Urijah and Hilkiah and Messiah on his right hand and on his left hand Padiah and Mishael, and Malchiah, and Hashem, and Hashpadanah, and Zechariah, and Meshalam. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also Jeshua and Benai and Sherebiah and Jamin and Akab and Shabbatai and Hodijah and Messiah and Kaleda and Azariah and Josabad and Hanan and Peliah and the Levites caused the people to understand the law and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet tea. Oh no, that's not what it says. Drink the sweet and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy. Neither be ye grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth, because they had understood the words that were declared 
unto them. Let us pray. Father, I pray you would add your blessing to the reading of your word tonight that you, Lord, by the Spirit of God would breathe upon the text. May it, Lord, may it find good ground to be planted in the hearts of the people tonight. Lord, may our ears be open. May our hearts be receptive of thus saith the Lord. And Father, would you touch us and anoint us with the power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim the word of the living God. And Lord, may you be glorified and honored and hide your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. It is in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen and Amen. You can be seated tonight. Here in Nehemiah 8, here in this text, we must acknowledge that when Nehemiah arrived in Jerusalem, Ezra had already been there instructing the people with the word of God. Warren Wiersbe said that they held a great Bible conference in that day and during that time. I would say to you it was in about 586 B.C. that Jerusalem's walls and their temple had been torn down and the gates were burned down by the Babylonians. That's what has taken place. Jerusalem was destroyed and God worked through Nehemiah to rebuild those walls. The temple has now been rebuilt. Catching you up to where we are. The temple has been rebuilt. And in about 445 B.C., which is about 140 years after it was destroyed, the walls were rebuilt, get this, in 52 days in spite of the harsh opposition they were facing. And so the walls, the temple, they're rebuilt. See, a great victory was won, but the work was not done. And so with that being said, in Nehemiah 8 to 10... The focus shifts from the rebuilding of the walls to the renewing of the covenant. So there's this shift in focus. One said it this way, It is not enough that the people return to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall. They need to return to the Lord in repentance and faith. It's not enough for the physical return. They need a spiritual return to God. That's what's taking place in Nehemiah 8 to 10 as Ezra opens the book. So I say to you, there are three people that are involved in preaching. Not just one, three. The first one is the provider. That is, it says in verse 1, the Lord had commanded to Israel. This book, as the first five books that they are reading, the Pentateuch in this chapter, this book we hold in our hands is not man's opinion and man's word, but it is the word of the living God that he has breathed out by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the provider, the author, the one who wrote it is God. He's the first person that is involved. We'd have nothing to preach and nothing to say if God didn't speak. But he has. He's the provider. But the second person involved is the proclaimer. That is a man by the name of Ezra who is a scribe in this passage. And it tells us that to let us know he is someone who was dedicated and had dedicated and committed his life to the word of the living God. And so he, he not only loves the word, but he lives the word. And so he is the proclaimer. So there's the provider, that's God. There's the proclaimer, that is Ezra in Nehemiah 8. But it is also whoever the one is standing and proclaiming and preaching the word. That's a second person involved in preaching or in exposition of the Bible, if you will. So the provider, the pro, then the proclaimer. 
The third person is, see, God provided the word. Ezra proclaimed the word. That's how it still works today. God has provided the word and someone is to proclaim the word. That's how that works. That's what we dealt with this morning. But I want you to notice now the people that are there and present as the word is being provided and proclaimed to them, they are now to participate in the word. You are as much involved with the preaching as I am tonight. Because if you weren't here to hear it, then I'm just preaching to walls. And you shouldn't be a spectator. You should be a participator. Nehemiah chapter number 8 is dominating theme about the Word of God. There's a provider. There's a proclaimer. But I want you to focus on the participator tonight. And I want you to understand, not only is there a thing that is called expository preaching, but there is a such thing in the Bible. In Nehemiah 8, we find it primarily called expository listening. Did you know there is a certain way you ought to listen to the Word of God being preached? There are certain things you ought to do when you are listening, and there are certain things that are to be a product of you receiving and hearing the Word. And all those things we find in Nehemiah chapter number 8. So notice the participation, notice the participator, notice the expository listening that happens in Nehemiah chapter 8. Number one, notice their serious readiness. Their serious readiness. This is in the first four verses you find this truth. They were ready and they were serious about the word of God. I want to make a statement. Participation is always preceded by preparation. You cannot participate in the Word if you have not prepared yourself in the Word. Participation is always preceded by preparation. They were serious. They had a serious readiness. They're ready to receive the Word of God. May I ask you this question? Are we ready to receive the Word of God? Are we serious about receiving the word tonight? They had a serious readiness. Notice the first thing involved in that in the first two verses is notice their attendance and their priority. Their attendance and their priority. You see it says, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. See, the people wanted to hear the word. They had a desire and a hunger burning inside of them to get where the word was being spoken. They were wanting the word. They were able to understand the word. And they made it a priority in their life to gather in a place where the word of God was being preached, where the word of God was being proclaimed. They gathered themselves together. You know what that means? It means the pastor didn't have to go beat their door down, drag them by their feet, and say, get to church. They gathered themselves. Where did they gather themselves? Where the word was. That is what we are doing tonight. We are gathering, and this is the central theme. This is what it's all about tonight. We've gathered around this to hear from this word of God. 
So we've gathered ourselves together. They made it a priority to attend where the house of God is. We ought to make ourselves ready for the word by making it a priority to attend the house of God and wherever the word is being preached and proclaimed, making it a priority to be there. And notice when they did that, it says they gathered themselves as one man. That is, they were in a spirit of unity. See, they didn't care about minor things. They didn't care about little disagreements. All they knew is they agreed on the book. They knew they were hungry for the book. They wanted the book. They wanted the word and they agreed on that and so they came together in unity. That's what we need. To come together to a place to hear the word in unity with that one goal in mind that tonight we have come in the name of Jesus to hear from heaven. So their attendance and their priority and they're in this spirit of unity. They made it a priority to be there. They're in unity. And then notice what happens. Into the street that was before the water gate. I just want to be practical with that and say that's just a representation of how wherever the word is, there is water. All right? Wherever the word is, that's where you go get a drink at. And so notice next what it says. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe. He hadn't even got the book open yet. He hadn't even stood up to preach yet. And they said unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had commanded to Israel. You know what they did? They said bring the book. Hey, they got there. They got in their gathering place. They said hey let's just skip all these preliminaries. Let's just get the book out. They said Ezra just open that book. Tell us what God said. We need to hear from heaven. Can you imagine if you came in here on a Sunday morning and you had one goal and you opened up and said, Hey, preacher, Brother Gary or Brother Mike, whoever's doing the preaching, just bring the book. Bring the book. Could you imagine how much liberty and passion and power they could have if we just gathered and said, Bring the book. Oh, bring the book. Their attendance and their priority. Notice it says those who could understand were there in verse 2. Men and women on the first day of the seventh month. That's simply that most likely there was some type of nursery for infants and little children who were not able to understand the reading. So they had men and women who were able to understand that were attending. There's men and women gathered. Church ain't just for men. Church ain't just for women. Men and women. Were gathered. Notice they were interested in God's word. That's their priority. That's what they are there for. I wonder, do you come to church for the word? What do you come for? See, and I think about this. We always worry about those who claim to be saved, yet they're unfaithful to the house of God. They don't come to hear the word that they need. You say, well, what's that about? The truth of the matter is, what do you do when you're hungry? You go where food is. You're hungry and you look in the cupboards and the cupboards are bare. You run to McDonald's or to Wawa, praise the Lord. And you get something to eat. You know why you go to those places? Because you know they got food. You realize tonight, you don't got to worry about the people that ain't here. Because the people that are here are the ones who are hungry. If those people out there got hungry, they know where the food is and they would come to get the word. Because the people that are hungry for the word come to get the word. 
They go where the food is at. So bring the book. Bring the book. And they're hungry for the word. They made it a priority to attend where the word is. This is what I'm saying. God was speaking to them where they were at because they were hungry for it. This is what I'm saying. If you aren't here, if you don't make it a priority to attend where the word of God is, you're begging God all week, speak to me. Help my family. Give us what we need. And then you're not here when God is speaking to his man. God's been giving his man the message you need all week and you don't show up, then you are missing what God wants to say. Don't miss out on what God's trying to say. They had attendance and they had priority. This is what I'm saying, two statements. Be here and be hungry. Be here and be hungry. Their attendance and their priority, they're ready to receive the word. Notice the next thing, their attentiveness and their perception, verse 3 and 4. And it says, and those that could understand, and it says, and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. See, they could understand, they were listening because they were willing to listen. They were willing to hear the word. This is, attentiveness is simply, they paid close attention. They paid close attention. They were, in other words, they were hanging on every word. They were completely in awe. They were amazed and captivated when the book of life was open. I wonder, are we amazed and captivated and in awe when the word is opened? They were attentive. Nothing else was distracting them. Their full attention was upon the word of God. This is something practical I just want to share with you. This ain't in Nehemiah 8. I don't, I'm not going to say they did this, but I'm going to tell you this is a good practical tip to help you. It is a great habit. You say, how do I listen better to preaching? It is a great habit to get in when you are listening to preaching to have a notepad and a pen and write down notes. Because then you are seeing it, you are hearing it, and you are writing it. You get three senses. How much more likely are you to remember what the preacher said? A whole lot more. That's just a practical tip hear and listen to the word better take notes take notes and then you can always go back and listen and and look at what the preacher had said so take notes that's just a tip but notice they're captivated by the word they're not bored with it they're not bored with it because they you know how i know they're not bored they stayed there six hours didn't murmur didn't complain didn't fall asleep they didn't run out and say we're sick of this they stayed and they stood and they listened for six hours I'm not saying we have to have six hours of preaching, but I am saying let's listen to the word as long as God is speaking to us through his vessel. They knew they needed the word. Notice in verse 4, it talks about these people who were standing with him. They, beside him stood all these different names, all these different people. They were the leaders in that time. What it is simply letting us know is the leaders of our day ought to be behind and those who hold positions, let me, let me explain, those on committees and boards and deacons and trustees, all these types of people, they ought to be behind the preacher or the teacher who is proclaiming the word of God. I'm not saying they must physically be on the platform, but I'm saying in spiritual terms, they ought to be backing the word of God that is being preached. They ought to be on the same page. Pardon the pun. They ought to be backing the word of God. Their attentiveness and their 
perception. They are listening and they are receiving the word. Notice their attention and their position. Not only their attendance and priority, their attentiveness and their perception, but their attention and their position. Verse 5, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. You may ask why I asked you to stand before I preached tonight. Well, as I was preaching this at my church, I just felt led to have from now on as I preach to have the people stand. Now, I am not dogmatic about that. I'm not going to say every preacher has to do that. But it's just something I feel led to do. And so, but it's in Nehemiah 8, so you can't tell me it's not biblical. They stood up. But the point I want to make about them standing up and their attention and their position. See, this is how I came to that conclusion. We stand for the national anthem. I was convicted in my heart of, if I can stand for an anthem of a nation, why can't I stand for the word of God? Now, again, that's something personal. Maybe you don't feel that way. But this is what I'm saying. Their standing was what they were doing is representation of their reverence and their awe and their respect for the Word of God. So I'm not saying you have to stand. But whether you stand in attention and respect the Word of God or not, in your heart there ought to be a spiritual reverence and a holy awe and a respect. And the Word of God being placed up here is to let you know this is important this is what it's all about and we ought to respect and honor the word of God and so there is their attention and their position I say to you the word of God commands our attention and it's very deserving of it how could we do anything but listen during the preaching if the preacher and teacher are truly proclaiming, thus saith the Lord, how can we do anything else but listen? Their attention, their position. I wonder what church would be like if we spent as much time preparing our heart as we did our hair. <laughs> Some of you said, I didn't take long. You hear me? You spent so much time on the outside. What if we spent that much time on the inside getting ready to go to the house of God, praying, reading the Bible, saying, Lord, speak to us. Fill our preacher. Fill the teachers. Lord, speak to us what you want to say. Let us hear it. Let us have ears to receive it. They are serious about the word of God, and they are ready to hear the word of God. When we come, we ought to prepare ourselves to participate in the preaching. Their serious readiness. Notice this quickly. Notice their sincere responsiveness. Verse 6 through 12 reveals what they did in response to the word of God. Now I submit this to you. There are two types of people that are responding to the word. Everyone responds when the word is given. You either do one of two things. You either reject it. And by the way, doing nothing is rejecting it. If you do nothing... You are rejecting what God has said. And there are those who receive it and obey it. There's only two options. You either reject it and do nothing, or you receive it and you accept it. I don't know about you, but I want to receive his word. And that's what they did in Nehemiah 8. They received it, and this is the product of their reception of the word of God and their obedience to it. Notice how they responded. They sincerely responded. They didn't fake it. They weren't being hypocrites and Pharisees. They were sincerely obeying God. Notice what they did as they responded. They were led to affirm. 
affirm. Notice what they did in verse number 6. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen. They affirmed what the Word of God said. You know what that means? It means they were saying, We agree. Saying amen is biblical. It is not a southern thing to say amen. It's a Bible thing. A Bible thing. I go all over the place, and a lot of times the church is in the south, and they're they're getting where they don't even do it anymore. But a lot of times the church is in the north, and I'm not condemning you for that, but I am telling you it's a Bible thing. It's about they said, amen, amen. That means I agree. That means so be it. That means yes. That means do it, Lord. That means we agree. And so this is what I'm saying. If you are responding biblically to the word of God, you will say amen, amen. That is when you receive the word and you say, I agree. I agree. If you agree with the preacher, you ought to let him know. I'm not saying you have to say, amen. You can say, amen. Say it. I don't care if you say, amen. Nod your head or something so we know you're not asleep. Affirm, agree with what the word of God is saying. Amen, amen. Let me say this. about They probably also said things like hallelujah, which simply means praise God. So are those things biblical? Yes. It's biblical to agree with the word. Let me say this. It's biblical to do that. You know what else they did? They lifted up their hands. So they praised in the Lord, worshiping the Lord. All those things are biblical responses to the word of God. If you can do this in a song, you can do this over scripture. Let me say this, two things. Know why you ought to say amen and affirm the preaching of the word of God? Because it helps the preacher. Practical. It helps the preacher. You say, what do you mean? It lets him know you are on the same page, you agree with him, and you're not up there, down there thinking, would this guy be quiet? Let's him know you agree with him, and it also lets him know you're listening. Second thing, it not only helps the preacher, you know it helps you to say amen. First reason it helps you to say amen, being practical here, because it'll kill your pride. And last time I checked, anything that kills pride is a good thing. Because when you say amen, maybe you say, I don't want nobody to hear me. That's pride, ain't it? Go ahead and say amen. It'll kill some pride. Go ahead and lift your hand. It'll kill some pride. You know what else? Not only does it help the preacher, but it helps you because it kills pride. But it also helps you, and it helps you know what's being said. Let me see. I was in church one time, and there's a preacher preaching a great message on the subject of hell. With a tear in his eye, passion in his heart, boldly proclaiming there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. He made a statement and he said it this way. And he said, people are dying and going to hell. A man in the back stood up and said, glory to God. I'm thinking, were you not listening? If you are saying amen, it'll make sure that you're listening because you won't say amen at a dumb spot. (laughs) It'll make sure you're listening. It'll help the preacher to help you. Not only did they affirm, but notice what else they did. They were led not only to affirm, they were led to the altar. You know what they did? They bowed their faces on the ground. 
What does that sound like? I'm being practical now. What does that sound like? Is the altar biblical? Well, they bowed their faces to the ground and worshiped the Lord in response to the word of God. You know what this altar is? It's where you come and you publicly bow your head and worship the Lord with your face to the ground. That's biblical. That's a biblical response when you come humbly and respond to what God is saying. Some people don't like when people always go to the altar, but I really worry about the ones who never go. Let them to affirm it. Let them to the altar. Notice it. Let them to acclaim. It let them to agonize. That is in verse nine. It says in Nehemiah, he he taught all the people, and they said, "Mourn not, nor weep, because all the people wept when they heard the word. They heard the word, and they were convicted. Their hearts were broken. Their hearts were pricked by the word of God. The word showed them who they were, and it showed them who God was. It showed them they were sinful, and He was holy, and their hearts were broken. The word of God ought to prick our hearts." It ought to convict our hearts. It ought to break our hearts. It led them to agonize. Notice it led them to acclaim. Verses 9 and 10, they're mourning. But then in verse 9, verse 10 rather, it says, Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, sin portions. He says, For this day's holy, neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. There he's acclaiming. He's letting them know, hey, he's saying they were mourning, but he told them to stop weeping and start worshiping. They were not to be miserable, but they were to be praising God. The word of God was not to hurt them, but it was to help them. So they are to praise God for the word that was spoken. They're to praise God that he's allowed them to hear from heaven. Ironside said holiness and happiness are inseparable. Inseparable. See, when you're right, you will rejoice. When you're right, you will rejoice. When the Word of God breaks your heart and you repent and you get right with God, you will praise Him. That's a biblical response to the Word of God. Let me say this. It led them to act. It led them to action. It led them to do something. They didn't just say something. They didn't just go to an altar. They didn't just pray a prayer. They didn't just praise the Lord. But then they lived out what they heard. They were not just hearers, but they were hearers and doers. Verse 11. So the Levites stilled the people, said, Hold your peace. The day's holy. Be not grieved, basically. In verse 12. And all the people went their way, and they did what they told them to do, is what it's saying. Because they... Why'd they do it? Because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. Because they had a greater knowledge of Scripture, they then went about to pursue it in their lives and to live it out in their daily life. And so what I'm saying to you is, they didn't listen and leave. They listened and lived. They did what they heard. This, the rest of this chapter challenges their obedience because they're going to be asked to do by God, commanded by God to do what they have not done for a thousand years. They are to restart the Feast of Tabernacles. That was not a tradition, but that was a truth that God spoke to them. You say, what does that have to do with anything? This is what I'm saying. It may not be a tradition, but if it's the word, do it. So whatever we are not living by that's in this book, let's get busy. That is a biblical response to preaching. Let me close. This is the end. It, it ends this chapter with because they had under, it ends this part of the chapter in verse 12, because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. Get this. What did they understand? You see, we need to understand what they understood. 
That is simply, if we're to clarify it, it is this, that they knew they were great sinners, but they rejoiced because they had a great Savior. Tonight, we are great sinners. That's what the Word teaches us. But there is a great Savior. They realized God had spoken, that He was their salvation. He was their strength. The same is true for us today. The Word tells us of Jesus, who is our salvation. He is our strength. See, the Word of the law caused them to grieve, but now they're going to understand that because they grieved, they now get grace. <laughs> Spurgeon said it this way, grief for sin is the porch of the house where the guests are full of joy of the Lord. <laughs> this is, in other words, this is what Jesus said. He said, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. In other words, they were broken by the word so they could be blessed by the word. You know what a biblical response to preaching is? It's being ready for it. But it's also responding to it. That's what they did. This, this is what they did. They sought. They needed a word and they looked for a word and they were hungry for a word. They stood. That is, they respected God's word. They shouted, which means they were glad to hear God's word. They submitted, which means they were glad to obey God's word. They understood, they obeyed, and they rejoiced. May we understand, may we obey and rejoice. Tonight, I don't know what the application for you is. Maybe you need understanding. May you understand. Maybe you need to obey something God is saying to you. Would you obey? Maybe tonight you need to rejoice and praise Him. Those are biblical responses. Understanding, obeying, and rejoicing in what God is saying. This is what I'm saying. May we be ready for the book and may we respond to the book when it's given. Father, thank you in Jesus' name for the word of God that is powerful and life-changing. Glory to your name, in Jesus' name, amen. As a child of God, some of the most important times in your life, in your week, is the time you come and listen to the Word of God. And I love that thought, expository listening. Listening to what thus saith the Lord, the Word of God. And that's an, that's an amazing thing. I, I encourage you to continue to study that chapter and read specifically what the Bible says, how they listened to what an example for us in a modern day. We we have come, Kogan, we have come so far from that way of listening to the Word of God. And that sadly, even in, in preaching in our, around the world in America, we've come a long way from that type of preaching. And uh, I want to testify just a moment. Uh, Brother Mike, I want you to come and, and, and get ready to introduce um, the pastor, Brother Jason, to testify. He's going to give a testimony. we got some pastors here tonight, tomorrow night, that's going to testify about their life and how they study the Bible and take about five minutes and just tell you how God's changed their life through expository preaching and studying and that kind of thing. But I want to give you a testimony and why God had burdened me so much for what we're doing in conferences like this around the country. When I graduated from Bible college, um, the school that I went to was a good place, not a perfect place, but it was a good place. But they emphasized three types of preaching, textual, topical, then then tagged on the end, expository preaching. And they, they, they told us out of some small book of what that should mean, and just a little example. But in that circle, and in many circles, sadly, it's more, more of a topical type preaching. Let's just get a topic. You know, we're against red ties, so let's, let's find the verse and preach against red. I'm, I'm against any tie. But anyhow, let's just find the verse and just preach. I can't find a verse, but I can't find a verse for them either, but that's a good thing. But anyhow... That, that's what they emphasized. And that's wrong. That's wrong. I got out of Bible college, started taking some graduate courses, and I began to study 
and read from men like Dr. Jerry Vines. And uh, I just read again, I just, well, I didn't read the whole thing, but I just used it again for some things in my life. Anointed Expository Preaching and uh, Stephen Olford, a great book. If you don't have that, you need to get that book if you're a preacher or any type of teacher. And, but I, I began to read books like that. And uh, then about two years later, out of college, I was able to meet Dr. Jerry Vines, Dr. Adrian Rogers. And I was telling them today, when I met Dr. Jerry Vines, he preached for 20 minutes the whole book of Jonah. You know how he did that? His message wasn't an illustration after illustration after illustration. He just took the Bible. Verse by verse, line upon line. It was an amazing thing. And uh, I, I went to the altar that night begging God to help me just to be a Bible preacher. A few years ago, about seven, eight years ago, and I've tried ever since I, I began to preach to do that, a preacher came up to me. Somebody, I was going to say I love. That might be exaggerating. I'm supposed to love. I'll, I'll say it that way. But he came up to me and he, he said, uh, you just preach the Bible. But he didn't mean it as a compliment. And I'm thinking to myself, how sad, how far have we gotten if preaching the Bible is not enough. And uh, I, I began to be burdened about that so much, how we need to raise up another generation of just preaching the Bible verse by verse, line upon line. If the Bible is not enough, then we're in trouble. We're in trouble. If it takes funny illustrations and stories and if it takes some type of personality to change, we're in trouble. But I want to say tonight, the Bible is more than enough. We need to take the Bible in context. We need to emphasize just what they did. For hours upon hours, they read the scripture and they began to cry. They began to mourn. They fell on their face because somebody just preached the Bible. And uh, so with the help of God, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to emphasize the rest of my life. And there's some preachers, there's a generation being raised up. God's moving in their life, and I'm so excited about that. And uh, we have a, a dear friend here with But I, Brother Mike, I want you to introduce him. I know you've talked a lot about this with him. And uh, tell him who he, they already know who he is. But I want him to come on up here and get ready and uh, testify a little bit. But you introduce him, Brother Mike. Amen. Well, I uh, met Jason Mitchell. Man, how long ago was that, Jason? A long time ago, 15, 16 years ago, I was preaching a revival in Middleburg, Pennsylvania, and uh, we met and started talking, and we struck up a friendship and uh, mutual love of many different things, and uh, I just got to know him better and better, and over the years, just watched the Lord work on his heart, uh, and, and I'll tell you, there was something unique about the way that God called him to preach. I'll never forget the time you called me and you said, hey, this church, he had been teaching Sunday school at his church. He said, this church down the road called me up and wants me to come over there and preach for them. And he said, I'm not a preacher. And I said, well, maybe you are and you just don't know it. And uh, the Lord just kept opening those doors. You pastored that church for a while, didn't you, in, in the end? And uh, the Lord's just been working on him and it's been wonderful. I'm going to let him give a little bit of his testimony and uh, just a little bit about he preaches the word of God, I'll tell you. And we talk about the Bible a lot. But anyway, I'll let him talk about some of that. I didn't have a lot of friends. That's why I was so eager to, 
no, I, I do appreciate uh, just the invite and to, to share a little bit. And what Mike said is true. I, uh, I became an expositor of the Word of God before I even knew what that was. Uh, as I began to study for the ministry, I, I feel like I've done a lot of things in reverse. I did it backwards, but it just goes to show just how patient and long-suffering that our God is, and praise the Lord for that. But uh, yeah, my my ministry began through teaching Sunday school, the the quarterlies, expositors, and uh, and just learned to 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 say what the Word of God says. Uh, I literally, had an older lady come to me just a few months ago who was a, a first time attender at the church I pastor and. Uh, and she she literally said something like you uh, said, Dale. Uh, she said, "You just simply say what the Bible says," and uh, and she was excited about that. She, you know, she it was a good thing in her eyes. And I explained to her that the best thing that we can do is think God's thoughts after Him. And so that is where where it's all at. And you know, I just want to share a, a a verse that I'm not going to preach, Dale. I promise. I promise. But in Colossians, uh, the Apostle Paul, he, he says in verse, chapter 1, verse 28, he says, We preach Christ, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. And, you know, that's the goal of the pulpit, is to present every man, every man, woman, boy, and girl mature in Christ, and, uh, and you might not believe this, but us preachers, we have hobby horses. There's things that we really are passionate about. And when, when we allow ourselves to do that versus preaching verse by verse through the word of God, we're going to have very imbalanced diets feeding the sheep. Uh, did you ever see a man who, who liked to work just his biceps going on with an illustration They, they work those biceps over and over again. They got the great big arms. You stand back and look at the rest of the body, and they got chicken legs, right? No neck. It looks like they're going to. That's exactly what will happen if we don't preach the word. We will have Christians that are really strong in one area and very weak in others because God gives us in his word in proportion to what we need a balanced diet that we may grow and that we would all grow in the Lord that, that as Paul said, that we could present every man mature in Christ, the man who's preaching included. Uh, I believe that, that we grow uh, as much or more than anybody. And uh, so praise the Lord for, for a church that is emphasizing good Bible preaching. We need more of it. Amen. He had a little bit of a trip to be here, but we're thrilled. Tomorrow night we'll have another testimony. Excited about what God's doing. Brother Mike, you come on up. I think we're going to do an offering and, and a song. Congregational, get ready for that. We can stand up and stretch a little bit. And uh, Brother Kogan, that was wonderful. Man, that was amazing. That helped me. I got a lot of notes out of that. So Brother Mike, you come and help right. us. Now. You can stand with us. We'll get our ushers to come. Daryl, Derek, come around. Get us a congregational song. Remember, everything that you give in these offerings tonight are going to go to our speakers. Uh, help with their travel uh, and all that kind of stuff. We're th so thankful that they've come with us. And uh, I know that Brother Cox is going to be a blessing to you. This morning he did an uh, absolute fabulous job of speaking about illustrations. And 
And I was so excited about that. We had this big call about everything, and we're going. And I was kind of on that hobby horse, like, hey, this is something. And he spoke right up and said, I'll tackle that subject. And this morning he did it so well. It was absolutely wonderful. And he really uh, just did a great job. I'm excited about him preaching right now. Brother Bill Brown, would you ask a blessing on the offering? Continue to be with us and bless us, and Lord, just be with the one who brings the next message to us, Lord. We just now I ask that you bless us all for bless the gift and the giver alike. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Page 190. 190. Come thou found. Come thou found of every blessing through thy heart to sing thy grace streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above praise the mount i'm fixed upon it mount of thy redeeming love here i raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus saw me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he who rescued me from danger interposed his precious blood oh to grace how great a debtor daily i'm constrained to be let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee prone to wander lord i feel it prone to leave the god i my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Amen. You may be seated. One of my favorite hymns, and those hymns aren't inspired, and the, but I think sometimes they're pretty close. I love those old hymns. Thank the Lord for them. Well, I want the singers come on up, get ready for the second message. I want to introduce Brother Stephen Cox. And uh, some, some of you may not know him in this part of the country, but he goes all over the country. God's using him in an amazing way. His church, God is blessing his church tremendously. But I, I want to introduce him after they sing. And we're so glad to have uh, Michaela and Adelie. And uh, I'm glad they're still singing. They started singing together a long time ago. They were little. And uh, God has blessed them. Now Michaela got married to a preacher, and God's using her. And uh, has a little baby boy. And God's still using it. I'm glad Adley's still singing for the Lord. And that she's been through a rough time. And God's still using her. And that we, we wanted to kind of make this song somewhat of a theme song for this meeting. And that we'll sing it. She'll sing it again tonight. Then tomorrow night we'll probably won't. But uh, I love the Bible. I, I just love the Bible. I, that, that food that Brother Cogan was talking about. There's certain foods. The more you eat of it, the more you want. The Bible's like that. If you'll just dive deep in the Word of God and just get accustomed to the diet 
of the Word of God. It's amazing. I mentioned this last night. Let's, let's not get so caught up on the cover. Let's just get in the Word of God. Let's not fuss about all the, everybody's fussing about everything. I'm already settled on all that stuff. I'm not going to fuss about it. I'm just going to get in the Bible. Let's get in the Word of God. Let's fall in love with the Bible. Let, let's, let's find out how wonderful our God is through the Word of God. Adley, sing that song again. I'm amazed every day when I sit down and open up the Bible. Sometimes I sigh, sometimes I cry, Sometimes I feel my spirit hath revival. It satisfies my soul, and it's hope that I can hold. Oh, Lord, I thank you for the book you've given, word of life, breath of heaven, perfect truth from page to page that you preserve from age to age, from Genesis to Revelation, anywhere I look, every phrase leads me straight to Jesus, Lord I thank you for the book, the master plan revealed to Questions rise. I know I'll find the answer there in any situation. As I begin to read, it meets me at my needs. Oh Lord, I thank you for the book you've given. Word of life, breath of heaven, perfect truth from page that you preserve from age to age from Genesis to Revelation anywhere I look every phrase leads me straight to Jesus Lord I thank you for the book Lord I thank you for the book you've given word of life breath of heaven perfect truth from page to page that you preserved from age to age from genesis to revelation anywhere i look every phrase leads me straight to jesus lord i thank you for the so good to have Brother Steve Cox with us, Pastor Stephen Cox, and uh, he's originally from West Virginia, but he really didn't grow up there. He's been in uh, North Carolina, now in South Carolina, but God is using him in a wonderful way, and uh, I encourage you to look up the videos or Facebook page and type thing, a wonderful preacher. You'll learn that in just a moment. God has uh, blessed his church. Now, they went through a lot of things at the beginning, 
and uh, had to go literally, literally, we say go through the fire, but they literally had to go through some fire and things like that. And uh, God is working in his life, and he's a Bible preacher. And uh, we are thrilled, we're honored that he's here. So I want you to open the Bible. Let's do this. Let's be expository listeners. Let's listen the way they did in Nehemiah, get excited about what thus saith the Lord. Come on, preacher. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 9, and if you grab your copy of God's Word and join me there, uh, I know you've been faithful listeners for a little while, if you'll just, I'm not going to be long this evening, I, I want to give you what the Lord has laid on my heart, I sure have enjoyed the singing uh, by the choir and uh, by, the, by the trio and then the duet, and uh, just enjoyed all of that, I've enjoyed the fellowship Brother Mike and Brother Dale and Brother Kogan and uh, Pastor, uh, just uh, different ones. Jake, of course, uh, been my, my roommate, my buddy for the last few weeks preaching uh, in different places. And so I'm honored to be here. Mark chapter 9, join me in verse number 1. The Bible says, And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. That's an introduction Jesus is giving to his disciples. He, a very strong statement in verse number one. He's about to shift the, the whole story in verse number two. He takes Peter, James, and John to a high mountain, and he is with. Some say this is the inner disciples. I believe he took Peter, James, and John to keep them out of trouble, right? No telling what they were going to get into. I'm not sure, but he takes them after six days up to a high place in verse two, Peter, James, and John, he leads them up into a high mountain apart themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Literally, the glistening power of God is all over Jesus. Some believe this is like a little tiny light that shined on Jesus on top of a mountain, but my friend, this was the glistening power of God on Jesus there in verse number 2. And his raiment became shining, in verse 3, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller or no cleaner on earth can wipe them. So it was, a, it was almost a blinding light. Again, this was the glory of God that Peter, James, and John witnessed on top of the mountain the transfiguration of our Savior. Now look at verse number 4. And there appeared unto them Elias, which is Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. So you, you can imagine this is... Elijah and Moses had been dead for many years, but this was what was allowed to happen on top of the mountain. Jesus is seen with Elijah and with Moses, and there's a reason for this. There, there's a, 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 a prophetic reason for this. There's also something that Peter, James, and John was witnessing right before their eyes. And we see in verse 5, Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. What's he talking about? The literal place. He, he said, uh, Jesus, I would much rather be here on top of the mountain than to be down in the valley talking about death and suffering. And, and uh, because Jesus had just revealed in one chapter before that he was going to the cross... And he tells his disciples, and though they still didn't understand the cross, they didn't understand the death, they, they certainly didn't understand the resurrection. And Jesus said, I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to die on the cross. And, and, he's, and, and the disciples hated that kind of talk. And so they go up on a mountain. They see this grand transfiguration. And they say, oh, we like it up here on the mountain. But that's not where we're supposed to be all the time. 
Matter of fact, we're supposed to be in the valleys of life preaching the gospel. Because most of life is in the valley, not on the mountaintop. But yet we like the mountaintop. And let me just say, I love the mountaintop experiences. And sometimes they encourage us. And I love the victory. But can I tell you, most of the ministry is done in the valley. The disciples didn't like the, the valley. And so uh, he says, Master, it's good. Teacher, it's good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, you, one for Moses, and one for Elias. For he wist not, or he knew not what to say, for they were sore or extremely afraid. Literally, you could imagine you're seeing Jesus, your teacher, your rabbi, your master, transfigured before you, and then you see two prophets, if you will, or two Old Testament figures who had been dead many years before, and you're seeing them talking with, hey, you could imagine how uh, frightening this might be. And they say, uh, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's build these tabernacles. And there was a cloud. What was this cloud in verse number 7? The cloud of the Shekinah glory of God. By the way, this is the same cloud that guided Israel by day and Israel by night. This was the same cloud that was in the doorway of the tabernacle. This is the same cloud that filled the temple when Solomon was rededicating the temple. This is the same cloud that overshadowed Mary when, when she was uh, given uh, the virgin birth. Hey, this is the same cloud that is going to fill the temple again in Revelation chapter 15. Hey, this is the way that God met with His people. And this cloud overshadows them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. By the way, still good advice for us today. Stop listening to everybody else and listen to the word. This is my beloved son. Stop your foolishness, Peter. This is the one that I'm anointed. This is the son of God. You listen to him. Well, in verse number Eight, and suddenly they had looked around about them and saw no man anymore save Jesus only with themselves. Boy, I love that verse. Save Jesus only. You know, when we preach, it ought to be Jesus and Jesus only. Nobody ought to be leaving saying, Wow, what a sermon. Wow, what a message. Wow, what an illustration. Wow, what a church. It should be, Wow, what a Savior. Wow, what a Savior. Verse number 9, And as they came down from the mountain, He charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. And they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one another, what the rising from the dead should mean. So you've got to understand this. The disciples did not understand the resurrection of Jesus because they, they didn't even understand the death of Jesus. They didn't understand the, the, the cross. They didn't understand all this kind of talk. So they're, they're kind of talking between themselves. I can see Peter, James, and John coming down this mountain and they're talking to, among themselves. What is he talking about rising from the dead? They'd never heard such talk before. In verse number 11, and they ask him, Why say the scribes that Elias must come first? Now this is Elijah. Why is Elijah come first? In verse 12, he answered and told them, Elias... Verily cometh first and restoreth all things. And now it is written that the Son of Man, that he must suffer many things and be said at naught. Jesus is differentiating between the first coming of Christ and the second coming. By the way, they're going to be two different things. And, and honestly, he says in verse 13, But I send to you that Elias indeed, uh, is indeed come. Well, who's he talking about? He's talking about the type of Elijah, which was John the Baptist. 
John the Baptist was a type of Elijah. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. He was the last prophet. Elijah was an Old Testament prophet in the New Testament. He said, Elijah has come indeed. And they uh, have done unto him whatsoever they listed as is written of him. So he's telling the disciples, yes, this is coming. And again, uh, he, he could be referring to those two witnesses, Moses and Elijah. But, but I believe indeed he's, he's talking about a type of, uh, of Elijah. But then look at verse 14. Here's the message. And when he had come to his disciples, the story shifts, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them. So Jesus is coming back down the mountain from the transfiguration. He's walking with Peter, James, and John, and he sees a commotion at the end of the, the or kind of at the foot of the mountain. There's some scribes, and there's some things going on, uh, and, and he can see some argument. It's not a pleasant thing that he's witnessing. Verse number 15, And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed. That word amazed is not amazed that we use it. They were terrified. They were terrified because it says, and running to him saluted him. They recognized, they, they, they seen this master teacher, this, this rabbi, this Jesus who had been doing all these miracles and this Jesus is coming down and there's a commotion that has taken place with his disciples. And in verse 16 it says, and he asked the scribes, what question ye with them? Why are you arguing? Why are you fighting? Verse 17, and one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son which hath a dumb spirit, a demon. I can't do anything with this boy. And he describes here in the text what, this, what happens to his boy when this spirit overtakes him. And I'm sure Jesus, his heart goes out to this young man and his heart probably goes out to this dad who has tried everything he can. And yet this boy that has a mute spirit, a dumb spirit, is writhing in pain and probably no doubt bleeding. He scratches and different things and cuts all over him and, and convulsing and foam out of his mouth. And, and the only hope that this man has for his boy to get help is a man named Jesus. And the, and the disciples could do nothing. You understand this, look at me church, we never advance beyond our need for Jesus. There's been lessons in my life that I have learned, Brother Dale, the hard way. I've tried to do it on my own. There's been spiritual battles that I've tried to take on my own. There's been spiritual times when I've needed God. There's been spiritual lessons that I've learned, and there's been times in my life that I have failed and, and fallen flat on my face, Brother Mike because I thought that I could do it on my own. But we never advance beyond our need for Jesus. Why? Because sometimes we face our detractors. We see the detractors in verse number 17. And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. Look at verse 18. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him. And he foameth, and he gnasheth with his teeth, and he pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. Now think about this. The disciples, they were with Jesus all the time. They had cast out devils before. 
But this time, they could not. These detractors, these people, these, these folks down at the bottom of the mountain that are questioning, they are, they are, they are, they are, they are confronting the disciples, they're confronting Jesus. Hey, why, why can't you cast out this demon out of this boy? They're, they're, they're confronting the disciples. Look at verse 16. And he asked the scribes, what question you with them? What's the problem? Verse 17, and one of the multitude said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. Verse 18, and he taketh him, and he teareth him, and he foameth, and he gnasheth with his teeth, and he pineth away. And I spake to the disciples that they could, uh, should cast him out, and they could not. They were asking these questions. They were wanting answers. They, they needed help. They needed some hope. And there was nothing that could be done. And can I say in this Christian life, there's people watching us. There's people expecting things from us. And for Listen, if we think that we've advanced beyond our need for Jesus, we will fall flat on our face. This world does not need a medicine. This world does not need a vaccine. This world does not need a new president. This world needs Jesus. And they're watching us. And they're expecting us to know the answers. And if we've not been with Him, we have no answer. We will fail. Let me just say... We, we, we need Christ when we're confronted with our detractors. We need Christ when we're confronted with demons. Look at verse 17. And when the multitude said, I've brought, thee unto my, uh, uh, unto, I've brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And it tells in verse 18 what this spirit had done. He tears, he gnasheth, he, he pineth away. And, and the disciples kind of looked at each other. And listen, the Jews at this time, when, it, when, a, when a dumb spirit, a deaf spirit or a mute spirit were to come, the, the, the Jews of that day, they did not know what to do with a mute spirit because they thought a mute spirit was impossible to cast out. And the reason for that is every demon had a name. And so when they could not get the name out of the demon, they just thought it was impossible. And I believe maybe these disciples thought that this was an impossible thing. I still believe in spiritual warfare. Sometimes when you mention spiritual warfare in a church, people get all spooky on you and they, they kind of look out and they say, oh, I don't know if I believe in all that. But let me tell you, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities. Listen, there's things that happen and sometimes we think that's a coincidence or we think that's just happen chance. But can I tell you, we are wrestling against a spirit world even more so than we think. We're not in, filled with the Spirit of God if we uh, maybe think that we advance beyond our need for Jesus, if we are not in the Word of God, if we're not listening to sound preaching, if we're not an expository listener, my friend, we will not be any match for them. Oh, your flesh is no match for the spirit world. Listen, the, the demonic influence on our children, the demonic influence on our teenagers, the demonic influence on our young adults, on our marriages. Let me tell you, friend, we better preach the Word. We better be filled with the Spirit. These demons that we read about, that was not just for a, an age of the Bible. That was a, that's a thing we're still wrestling against today. And by the way, there's a group of preachers out here that's trying to sensationalize demon possession. Get a good understanding of what the Bible says, not what a movie says. Get a good Bible understanding about not what some, some televangelist is saying about a demon, but what the Word of God says. 
Oh yes, we need the Word of God in our life and we need Jesus. And we need Jesus when we're criticized by our detractors. We need Jesus when we're confronted with demons. And we need Jesus when we are met in our defeats. Because Jesus steps in in verse 19 and He says, He answereth them and saith, O faithless generation, how long have I... Do you see the, do you see the frustration in our Savior? How long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. Jesus looks at these disciples and he says, How long have I been with you, boys? How long have you walked with me along the road? What did you just see on top of the mountain? Bring the boy to me. What are y'all doing, you faithless generation? Sometimes the defeats is when we learn the most. Sometimes, Brother Kogan, it's in the failures of life. That's the school. It's my failures that I've learned more than my victories. It's when I've realized that I need Him all the time. I thought I could preach a message in the energy of the flesh. I thought I could preach a message on my own. I thought I could preach a message in uh, my own unction, if you will. I thought my personality could do it. But it's just when I need Him most, I realize in my failures, a in our defeats, we realize that we never advance beyond our need for Jesus. Number two, we never advance beyond our need for faith. Because he calls them in verse 19, a faithless generation. Verse 20, and they brought him unto him. And when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. This is the authority of Jesus. This demon is trying to kill this young man. And he asked his father, how long is it ago? Jesus asked the father, since this came unto him, how long has this been going? And the father answered and he said, of a child. This has been going on. This is why I believe it's a teenage boy, maybe even a young adult. Uh, I believe that this started years ago. This boy has been acting this way for a while and I've tried everything. I went to the physician. I went to the psychiatrist. I, I went to the, 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 the palm reader. I went to the witch doctor. I went to everybody and Jesus, this is the last resort. This is it. And oft times he cast him into the fire, verse 22, and in the waters to destroy him, to kill him. But if thou canst do, if, do you see that if? This is this man's faith revealed. If Thou canst do. Now remember, we never advance beyond our need for faith. If thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If. Can you imagine when this man said, if thou canst do anything? Can you imagine Jesus had a little smirk. If I can't do. Oh, ye of little faith. Oh, faithless generation. How many times we've looked to the Lord and said, Lord, if you can pay this bill, would you? Lord, if you could build this church, would you? Lord, if you could fill this whole preacher, would you? If. We shouldn't be using if. We know God can. And we know God will according to our faith. And he even said, if you have the faith, of a, this story's in Matthew and I believe in the, in the Gospel of Luke. And, and he said, if you have the faith of a grain of a mustard seed, you know the grain of a mustard seed is not very big. He said, you could move mountains. If, Lord, thou canst do anything have compassion on us look at what Jesus said in verse 23 Jesus said unto him if thou canst believe all things are possible to him that believeth isn't that a good verse all things are possible 
You know what, I, I believe that we never advance beyond our need for faith, but the key is direction. I've heard some preachers preach about faith and I love faith and I love, I love to have my faith increase but I've heard them say it's the depth of faith but listen, I, I don't believe it's so much the depth of faith I, I would love to have deep faith I would love to have faith uh, that I could move mountains and pray and see God do that but I believe it's the direction of faith Sometimes my faith is weak Sometimes my faith, if you put it under a microscope you would have a hard time finding it the key is not the depth of faith. The key is the direction. What do you have faith in? Well, who's your faith in tonight? Is your faith in the government? I sure hope not. Is your faith in the banking system? Well, we've seen the last few days how strong that is. Is the faith in, in your career, in your, your job? Well, we sure hope not. Is your faith in the pastor? Hey, one day uh, you have a fine pastor, but one day uh, your pastor will no longer be here. Is it in the associate pastor? Hey, one day Brother Mike will no longer be here. Hey, is it in Brother Dale? Hey, one day Brother Dale's going to leave here and he's going to go somewhere else and preach. Hey, our faith cannot be in man. Our faith must be in God. It's the direction of our faith. I took that church and Brother Dale said, I've been there seven years next month and I took that church and we struggled. First Sunday that I, I had the church, we had 87 people. The next Sunday we went down to 57. 30 people in one week. We owed a half a million dollars. We were in a little building. Oh, Brother Dale, the offerings wasn't enough to pay the bills and Oh, I needed some prayer meetings and I got in that little cubby hole of an office back there years ago when I was in that office and I remember having prayer meetings by myself and saying, God, you called me to this church. It's your church. Oh, I had to depend on God and God started coming through. Oh, it wasn't long before God started sending people and saving people and discipling people and baptizing people and it was through the preaching of God's Word. I remember one of our air conditioned units went out. We didn't have enough money to do nothing. One of them big major air conditioning units went out and the, the air conditioning guy said it was going to be $12,000. Man, our church didn't have $12,000. Those people, we owed a half a million. We had a mortgage payment. We, we, a matter of fact, the first two or three months I was pastor, I didn't get a dime. We didn't have enough to pay. It was all faith. It was struggles. It was hard. And that August, always air conditions go out in August. And in South Carolina, I could have preached a message on hell that morning. Probably had 17 people saved. Sweat. We even canceled service that evening. It was so hot in that auditorium, just old tin roof of the church. And, and I remember uh, getting in there and praying. And We had a man in our church named Ralph Bryant. Ralph was a good man. Ralph was way up in years. Ralph uh, passed away in July of, of that year. I preached Ralph's message, uh, the funeral, the message at the funeral. And Ralph lived in an old shack of a house. His wife had died earlier. He drove an old tin can of a car, just an old beater of a car. And, and Ralph didn't look like he had a dime. But he died and preached his funeral, just a handful of people there. One day in August, I'm trying to figure out in that old hot office, I'm trying to figure out how to pay for an air conditioned unit. And a knock at the door. Are you Pastor Cox? I said, yes, ma'am, I am. She said, I've got something for you. And she left. She, she shut the door and she went out to her car. I thought she had a grenade or something. I had to follow her out to the car. I'm like, she's going to come in here and kill me. I didn't know her. I followed her out to the car and she handed me a little white piece of paper. And she said, this is from the estate of Ralph Bryant. 
I said, the estate of, I kind of laughed a little bit, the estate of Ralph Bryant. That sounded funny because Ralph didn't have a dime. I got back into the office and I'm, I'm really, honestly, I'm in the mode of praying, but I'm also complaining to God. God, you brought me here. God, you've you, you brought me from a great church, a church of a lot of people, a Christian school, a, a paid-off building. You brought me uh, from a great church to a church that's struggling, and I mean struggling bad. I'm almost complaining to God. I opened up that check, and it was exactly $12,000. Just what we needed for that air-conditioned unit. I called my wife, and I said, Honey, you're not going to believe this. I said, I got a check in the mail from the estate of Ralph Bryant. She began to laugh. She said, what in the world did he have? And I said, he had enough to buy us an air-conditioned unit. Hey, we both began to shout. You say, what, what happened? Hey, our faith was increased. It wasn't dependency in Ralph Bryant. It was dependency in God Almighty. Hey, where's your faith tonight? Where's your faith? Hey, faith is, is, the, is the direction is key. Hey, the dependency is key. He said this in verse 23, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, hey, this is great. This is a great invitation, a wonderful prayer. Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Hey, have you ever prayed that before? Because that's a great way to pray. Lord, help thou mine unbelief. It was the dependency on Jesus Christ. Who are you depending on this evening? Jesus saw the people and came running together and he rebuked the foul spirit saying unto him, thou, thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore very severely, tried to kill him. And he rent him sore and he came out of him and, and he, he was as one dead insomuch that many said he's dead. I mean, I believe many in that crowd thought this boy was lifeless, barely had a pulse, barely breathing. But notice what Jesus did. But Jesus took him up by the hand. Oh, the man of compassion. He lifted that little boy, brought him back, lifted him up, and he arose. I love that word in the Bible. Picked him up after he had been, by, been violently beaten by a demon and convulsing. And Jesus picks him up and he saves this little boy and restores him back. And this boy is a new young man. Look at verse 28. I'm done. Verse 29. And when he was coming to the house, the disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast him out? You notice... They didn't do it in public. They didn't look at Jesus and say, Jesus, right when that boy was standing there. They waited until they went inside the house and they looked at Jesus. Jesus, we got a question. All that out there that you did, why could we not do that? You go over to Mark chapter 3. You don't have to turn there, but he, he, he in verse number 14, he ordained the twelve that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. In verse 15, and to have power to heal sickness and cast out devils. Six chapters earlier, Jesus had empowered the disciples and sent them out to do what they could not do. And they had cast out devils. No doubt they had healed the sick. No doubt they had done these things. And guess what? They could not. 
And they said, Jesus, why could we not? And here's what Jesus said. And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Boys, the reason why, church, don't miss it. The reason why you could not cast this demon out is there was no prayer involved. There was no fasting. We never advance beyond our need for prayer. We never advance beyond our need for Jesus. We never advance beyond our need for faith. We never advance beyond our need for prayer. Because failure causes us to look inside. Introspection is good. Some of you need to leave tonight and you need to look in the mirror of God's word and say, Lord, why can't I have that kind of faith? Lord, why is it that I believe I can teach that class in the energy of the flesh? Lord, why is people not getting saved? Lord, why is people not doing this? Lord, why is this not happening? I'll tell you, we ought to stop blaming everybody else and start looking and saying, I'm the reason. Can I ask you this, church, tonight before we close? How's your prayer life? If I were to go to each of you this evening and say, when's the last time you had a prayer answered? This kind, this kind. The, Jesus said, hey, it's not the, that, that the casting out demons, it's not that the prayer is going to give you some superpower to cast out demons. What prayer does is it brings you closer to the heart of God. That's where we ought to be. The purpose of this meeting is not to get up and draw attention to ourselves in expositors of the word. The purpose of this meeting is for you to grow a love and grow a love for God's word so that you can be closer to the heart of God. What I want you to do through the preaching of God's word is not to be puffed up with pride, but rather say, Lord, I haven't prayed in a while. This kind. Do you have a this kind kind of life going on? Do you have a this kind kind of walk with God? Are you praying for anything? Are you praying for your pastor? Are you praying for the family? Are you praying for this church? Hey, mama, are you praying for those children? Because if you're not praying for them, maybe nobody is. Daddy, are you praying? Oh, how dare we talk about fasting? But Kogan said it earlier, it's not that fasting brings some kind of special supernatural. You're saying no to the flesh. And anytime you say no to the flesh, that is a good thing. Say no to the flesh and yes to God. We are commanded in Scripture to pray. We're commanded, Brother, uh, Brother Dale, to pray without ceasing. And Jesus made much of prayer. This kind, fellas, cometh not but by prayer and what is it in your life tonight that you need God to do that you need God let's pray together dear Heavenly Father we thank you for the text this evening Lord we thank you for the message that we'd already heard but God we thank you for how you speak to us through your word God how my heart has been stirred through the the, the, the singing this week and this the, the fellowship 
God, just being here at this joyful church and this such hospitality, but Lord, right now we need to hear from you. Like we need, we need prayer. God, we need faith. Lord, I believe many of our churches have felt like we can advance without Jesus. We can preach without Jesus. We can teach without Jesus. We can lead our families without Jesus. Oh God, how we need you right now. Help us, God, please. In Jesus' name. I want you to stand, if you would, with heads bowed, eyes closed, people already at the altar. In a place called Be crying.